I'm 21 and the people that I'm managing are like 26, 27. So first thing you have to kind of overcome is to show that you are really like, you know, in the right position because naturally people older from you, especially in this younger ages are looking to like, you know, you're like, Hey, so what you've got, like, how are you better than me? Welcome to the Speak as a Leader podcast, where you learn how to speak fearlessly on stage, on camera, and in person. I'm Nasheen, a leadership communications coach from the Fortune 500 world. And on Speak as a Leader, I talk to leaders from corporate giants like Amazon and Google to startup founders, visionaries, TEDx speakers, and even leaders who have worked at the Pentagon. You will get to know how these leaders learned the art and science of speaking fearlessly on any stage. Let's get started. Yuri Veramchuk is the head of business growth at Woodpecker, a fast-growing startup. He started as a junior business development executive, and now he's the head of his own department. He is in many ways the anti-leader because he's laid back. His focus is more on listening and empowering his team than in commanding them. And that is exactly why I wanted to talk to him. Thank you so much for joining us, Yuri. I am excited to talk to you, not just because we've been friends for so long, but also because I think you have some really interesting takes on leadership and speaking as a leader to share with us. So thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Nushin, for inviting. I'm, I'm excited. Let's get it going. Awesome. Would you like to tell our audience a little bit about yourself? Sure. I'm, I'm running outbound sales at Woodpecker. That's what I said, like seven years now. And on my year three, I became a leader uh, of one team at a very young age. I was 21. So that was a lot of weight on my shoulders and kind of I had to learn on the go. So definitely a lot of uh, ups and downs in that journey. Um, but yeah, would love to share everything that I've learned on it with you. I was really excited to talk to you because I think you're truly one of those people who's learned a lot on your journey. And yet you're very humble and understated about it. And I really like that part of your personality, especially that part of your leadership personality. So tell me a little bit about how you are as a leader for your team. Is it the same Yuri that we see in real life? You know, in is the same Yuri that talks to his friends? Or do you try to act a little bit differently in different contexts, depending on when you're speaking as a leader? It's mostly the same Yuri that we know on LinkedIn that you're speaking with right now. Maybe unfortunately for the team, but uh, at least uh, that's what I've noticed with my experience and things that I've been doing with the team. This is what really builds the trust between us when I'm, you know, upfront, 100% truthful about the situations. And also, as we call in sales, in the battlefields with them, kind of in the trenches, doing the job with them. Because there are different types of leaders that I've noticed that are leaders from like, you know, the managers that are just telling them what to do. And uh, in, as the time passes, their things and their ideas might become outdated. And what I've noticed here in Outbound Sales specifically, you kind of have to be on your toes all the time 
And um, if you are not really up with the way I'm working authentically, you probably even won't make it in the long term if I will be faking and you'll be faking. So it's kind of really important to understand upfront who we are, are we a good fit? And then to decide whether we want to move on this journey. That's very interesting that you use the word faking it because that is not the direction I was thinking of, but it's very interesting that you're interpreting it as faking it. The reason why I asked is that a lot of times leaders feel that they do need to create a specific presence for different situations. And it does work because the way that you conduct yourself in in real life, you know, with friends, with people that might be at the same level as you, and let's say in that way, versus how you would perhaps conduct yourself with investors or with senior management, it could be different and it could work out in the person's favor to be able to switch on different parts of their personality. Definitely not faking it. And that is not something that I would ever also advise people on, but something that I do advise people on specifically when it comes to situations where you are doing public speaking is to find parts of yourself that you can really use to relate with the audience and also become the most energetic, the most charming, the most relatable version of yourself. So do you ever find yourself in that situation, maybe during a presentation or maybe when you're speaking at a live event where you have to turn on the energy or turn on a specific part of you to be able to relate to the audience better and to be able to connect with them better? Yes. Now you're, that you're speaking this way, I have like things clicking in my brain. And yes, that's definitely the case. So kind of to the first part of your question, there are different things I'm focusing on presenting when I'm talking to, let's say, a team, a management, a CEO, because the interests are different. And those, even the, the tones that you're speaking with and the, the pace of the message that you're delivering would be different for all of them. So sometimes with the team, it's more like, you know, working, work in progress kind of situation. So we can all speak the way we normally speak. But then when you are doing a presentation to the board, you kind of have to really make them feel that this is something that happened is very like valuable and you can kind of have to back it up with the numbers. So uh, ideally you come in energized and you try to spark some, some life into that room as you start talking, because then they it gets them hooked. Now to the second part of your question, what, what different kinds of energy I'm doing on the events? Well, it also depending on the, the mood of the event that we're doing. Let's say we are doing an event that is, I'm speaking from the stage and I have like 200 people sitting in the room and listening to me. I don't want to be that person that, well, when they will walk out of the session, they were like, oh, I had a good nap while listening to that dude. I don't want to be that. So the, the way to do it is to be interested in kind of the ways you're sharing some to kind of show something interesting to the public, but it, that won't work if you aren't connecting with the public. And the way to connect with the public, I feel like is to understand what kind of energy levels do they need right now? Because not all the time do you have to be like really pumped and energetic because sometimes they would want to feel more chilled version of you depending on the event. So kind of have to fill them out. 
But this, the same goes to the live events. Like let's say we're doing this last session on LinkedIn and um, I'm talking, we're like quietly writing down some emails and that is like, you know, that's the energy levels that have to be there. So yes, you kind of have to pick different versions of how are you going to present information so you'd be better, like, you know, you better perceived from the other side. Yes, I completely agree with that. One of the things that I always tell the leaders that I'm working with, for example, is that the audience will either sink to your energy level or rise to your energy level. So it's really you as the speaker, as the person in the spotlight who needs to set that baseline for the energy and the energy then links to engagement. And of course, like you said, an engaged audience is one that will understand what you're saying more, be receptive to the message and eventually will lead to positive outcomes for both the speaker as well as the audience. So that makes a lot of sense. And for me, something very interesting about your journey is how it's so super different from mine. At 21, you were already leading a team. At 21, I was starting out on my corporate journey as a young manager at uh, PNG, which is a Fortune 50 company. You started off as a leader in a startup. So our professional journeys could not be more different, which is why I've always been very interested in learning about your journey and understanding first, how was it? What was it like being a leader at that young of an age? How did you survive your trial by fire in the terms of leadership? And what is it like now? And tell us a little bit also about the exciting growth of your startup, because I feel like you've had some really exponential growth over the last few years. Well, yes, that was definitely a one, one good journey that, that I've been on. A lot of challenges on the way, because the thing that I've noticed is the world likes to remain static. So especially if you are in the startup world, you're going to eventually encounter so many challenges that you'll have to overcome. And when you are young, you're still kind of you know, developing your mindset. And But there is not so much time to kind of grow in your mindset, to become ready for the challenges you're facing. You just kind of have to go for it and, and do it and figure out on the on the go. So, um, so I kind of the back, the background, how I ended up so early in the startup. So my first like official first contract job was at a corpo as Hewlett Packard. That was like half a year or less, uh, like, you know, employment contract. That was kind of something that I was doing on my studies in the second year. And that's when I've noticed that I'm, it's, it's not for me at all. Like, you know, I'm, I'm feeling like a, a, a small piece of whatever we are doing and, uh, then, then I felt like, okay, I, I want to go dive deep into the startups because maybe this is the, the real growth for me. And, um, as it happened, there was one small company with Packer that was just starting off with like, you know, a couple of people shared the idea, let's do that. And they were looking for like, you know, the first people to come on board and, um, I've, I've sent like, you know, I, I got an invitation from my friend, like, Hey, try to apply it. So I applied to that company. I eventually made it, uh, on when I was 19 to that startup. So that was, that was fairly young and, uh, year and a half, I was like being a junior mid sales guy, kind of closing uh, the customers that we have. So when I joined, there was 
around 30 customers that we had as a company. And in my time, I guess I've closed the first thousand customers because we've started growing at that pace because, you know, we had like, you know, people that are, that are specifically like, you know, targeted. So they're like, you know, things that we are doing. So I, I was more in sales. We had like people that were uh, going for the marketing and stuff like that. So that was definitely very interesting to observe what was going on. But at the same time, I was happy, like, you know, when I became a manager, I was happy that I got that opportunity because this is something that was like, oh, cool. I'll, I'll be, this is something on another level. I'll be managing people, not only just closing the sales, but I didn't know at that time that it's going to be so challenging because all of a sudden I'm 21 and the people that I'm managing are like 26, 27. And um, so first thing you have to kind of overcome is to show that you are really like, you know, in the right position because naturally people older from you especially in this younger ages are looking to like you know you're like hey so what you've got like how are you better than me and that this where you kind of have to prove with the skills and the knowledge that you belong there so that's what's kind of the, the trust winning phase that was really important in the in the beginning and then i've i didn't i didn't know a lot of things about understanding people so much kind of you know feeling out each team member how like understanding where they are in their journeys and how can i you know energize each one of them specifically so they will feel like they are either in the right space like you know and can achieve their goals specifically so those were like you know two biggest challenges that i faced straight up and uh, it's fair to say that i kind of failed in the beginning <laughs> well you know failure is a learning experience so the yeah that's kind of the shorter answer to that fascinating i can totally relate to being younger than the people that you're managing i didn't do it at age 21 like you did which is <laughs> insanely impressive i did it much later on in life where i was directing film crews and the dps the directors of photography that i was working with were people that were well into their 50s and 60s very experienced people that had worked across different countries and different film types. And I was this young 30-something director talking to them about my vision and talking to them about the shots that I wanted to do. And I really also made so many mistakes because I didn't realize that I would have to adapt the way that I spoke to someone inexperienced versus someone experienced. And the things that you want to communicate and the things that you assume. Now, in, I have also been communicating in a very multicultural context. So I have learned the art of over-communicating. But sometimes that comes back and bites you because if you over-communicate, people might think of it as being patronizing, being condescending. I had that happen to me when I, I tried to talk about the kind of shots that I needed with this very experienced cinematographer. And he, I was telling him, you know, this is what I want as the close-up. You know, I want the head and the shoulders. And he looks at me and says, yes, I know what a close-up is. And I thought to myself, wow, <laughs> I need to figure out how to talk properly. Do you recall any times where, like you were saying, you might have spectacularly failed at communicating as a leader? And what did you feel in the moment? Do you remember? 
Yes, there are a lot of those situations. Pick one, <laughs> which wish to, to 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 tell you. Well, I was also a part of kind of different cultures team. So I'm originally from Ukraine, and I was working with people from Poland. And then we had one person from the United States on board, and then one from Nigeria. That was my team that I was managing. And so not only I'm a young leader, I'm a leader of the only multicultural team in the organization. And uh, I have to deliver the messages to different type of people. And they're all older than me. So, um, so there was one time I remember I was, that was, I was speaking to my employee and we were doing a lot of one-on-one sessions and I was like, you know, just given normal, like, you know, feedback to like, you know, to the, the way we worked. And, um, and I asked that person like, Hey, could you just like, tell me what I've like the things that I maybe should be improving on. So kind of, because I really want to make sure that I'm able to deliver the message to you and understand you at the same time. But, um, I didn't hear anything from her at, at that time. She was like, no, all is good. Like you're doing great. Like, okay, probably I am. Then a month later, after two more one-on-ones, she comes to me with the list of things, like list of things that I should be improving because like she, she was, she was collecting them over time and I'm, I'm sitting to her like, uh, so like you, you have like 20 things for me that I should be improving. Why didn't you tell it to me before? And she, she felt, she said like, I was, she felt very pressured in that moment to deliver. And that was not the way she kind of got, got the information and she was put on the spot from her perspective. And it didn't even cross my mind because, you know, uh, I was talking kind of trying to adapt to people from different cultures, but I was talking the same like way to, to more employees and they were completely fine with delivering things. And I was like, well, there was a bucket of cold water in my head. Like, yo, I did not know that I should be doing that. So from that moment on, my learning from that was try to assess as much as possible people that are coming in your book, like not during the recruitment process, during the recruitment process, I'm mostly focusing on your character and kind of the things that you might be learning. But then when they come on board, try to understand them as much as possible. Like, you know, how do they like to uh, get the information? Is it the written form? Is it the spoken form? Like calls in real life and, and et cetera, et cetera. Even those who like, I'm doing 16 personalities tests and like kind of like the left brain, the left, right brain. So all those things help me right now. That's a great example. I love that you talked about someone who really took a question that you asked seriously because I can think of other people in that scenario who might have just said, no, you're doing fine. And then forget about the fact that you asked them this question. But this was someone who listened to your question, thought about it, reflected on it, took notes, and then actually got back to you. That really shows that she was invested in you and in the process and in her own role in the company. Yeah. At the same time, when I heard the list of 20 things that I should improve, I felt like I'm failing in in leadership position. (laughs) Well, maybe maybe she took it too seriously. And that was her personality. I love this idea of really deeply understanding your team's personalities so that you can communicate with them better. It really makes so much sense, especially because so often we're talking to them 
in team contexts. And then we're also talking to them one-on-one. And I guess the challenge there would be, how do you make sure when you're talking to them in a, in a team context, for example, you know, uh, weekly catch-ups, I'm assuming that could be something that you do. If you have a weekly team meeting and you have a group of people, but they have different personalities, different ways of communicating and different ways of understanding the data that you're communicating, how do you adapt to different personality types and different cultures like you brought up in the same meeting, in the same context? That's a challenge. What I've noticed, it's to understand, first thing you have to understand how each of them like absorbs the information. So I'm the type that could listen to the information, that'd be good for me. I'll, I'll be fine. Some people are the ones who need to see the information in front of their eyes and, and hear. Some people just need to read the information. So you kind of have to understand what, what's the balance for your team and kind of when we are doing the meetings, because well, in these times, those meetings mostly are online, but still at the same time, I need to understand what are the people on my team, the ways they are doing, like what are the majority of the team, like how they are absorbing the information. So when we are writing the meeting, I'm trying to like put it to them as much people as I can. And then on the follow-ups, let's say an email after the meeting or maybe a personal DMs, I'm trying to reach those people who are, are, I feel like we're kind of left off in the process of the meeting, the way that they like ideally prefer to get the information. So that's the first thing that I'm trying to do. And uh, once people, once you see that people understand, really understand what you want from them, it really is so much easier to get the, like, you know, the result of it and then hold them accountable because how many times I've been in the situation where I ask one person to do like one specific thing, but I miscommunicated on terms, the way I wanted it, the person didn't understand. And in the end, we find like we, we ended up in a situation where we're like, you know, both kind of unhappy with me, the, the way the person executed the task and the person, the way I communicated the task and those kind of situations. And you're so right. So much of that comes down to miscommunication or lost communication I remember one of the first mistakes that I made as a leader, as a manager at the time, I don't think I was a leader yet, was that I just wasn't communicating enough. And I realized this when I walked onto a film set and I realized that I had made myself the person who has the most information all the time. So everyone had to come to me and they were all dependent on me. And that also decreased accountability for the team because I had not bothered communicating with them enough in advance to be able to ask them and hold them accountable for certain tasks. They were all holding me accountable and it was so much pressure in crunch time. And that was, I think, one of the moments for me where I realized I need to really step up to the task and I can't just work through the situation the way that I would have worked if I was just an individual contributor. So something I really like asking people who come on the Speak as a Leader podcast is, was there a time where you remember where you flipped the switch from being either an individual contributor or a manager to a leader, from a boss Mm. to a leader? Was there a point that you remember where this change happened for you? Yes. So I've been internally promoted from a, like, you know, sales rep myself to managing salespeople. That was the moment that I was still like when my first 
team, I was still in that mindset that I'm also a sales rep. So I'm kind of doing the job and I was not really feeling what it is to be a leader and how, how it is to be, because you're, you're kind of figuring out the beauty of, you know, the organization that I'm working at, we've structured it the way that the team, the people from the outbound team have a perspective on and have an opportunity of later growing into other roles, because we all understand how outbound sales could be a tough thing to do all the time, every day, all day. So we give them an opportunity within like year and a half to merge into different positions in the company. What it means for a leader in my position is that I'm having a new recruitment process every year and a half, and I'm having new people on board. So I'm kind of, you know, training it and like, you know, making perfect my skills of onboarding people and hiring them. And on my second team, when I did my second hire, because right now I'm in my third team, like, you know, the second team grew into the organization. I'm in my third team. On my second team, I've noticed that I kind of, I failed to deliver the same kind of communication to them because I, I was thinking I should probably do it the way I did it with the first team because I kind of find it, yeah, I figured it out. This is probably the way I should do it. And I've started doing it the same way. I've started communicating messages the same way that were perceived by older people back then. The problem was that the new team that I've hired were pretty much my age. And the, the way they perceived information was kind of also different. And this is the moment when I realized like, oh, something is not clicking. I'm not able to deliver the information. I'm not able to build trust with them. Something is off and they need a lot of me as a leader not me as a also guy who is in the battlefields with them because they need a lot of help on onboarding they need a lot of help of maybe even answering some questions that they have from the customers and like i was i was busy doing my demos sometimes they could not reach me because i do, was doing my demo but that's what they really needed me so this is when i realized that i have to be really present for those people but at the same time i have to show them as much information as I possibly can. So to which, like, as you said, so I'm not the smartest person in the team. So they can also navigate successfully themselves. And this is what ideally I've built in my third team that I can, I can be present here, but then if I'm off, like, you know, to doing my task, I know that the job is getting done and they have a lot of information, but what that requires, that requires like an amazing onboarding processes for the first year, kind of, you know, doing the job together to build in the trust and empowering them. And this was like the learning where I grew from a, basically a head to a leader. And that this, this, when we started clicking. It's really interesting that you talk about the onboarding process, because that is definitely one of the things that I identified as an opportunity area for myself when I was making that transition from the corporate world to the startup world, I realized that in the corporate world, onboarding is so easy because all the processes are already pre-made. You just need to step into the system and you have so much support, both in terms of the tech side, but also in terms of the, the people, the department, everything is set up. And onboarding someone as a new manager is just super straightforward. It takes time, but it's very straightforward. But when you're in the startup world, you're inventing processes, you're creating things, you're innovating, you're just creating SOPs from scratch that just never existed before. And no other business is just exactly the same as yours. So you can't even learn as much from other processes or other businesses. And that was 
the one thing that I really consistently tried to improve in our startup, because right in the beginning, the onboarding was just all in my head. And I would just sit down with the person and just kind of do a brain dump. And by the end of it, they would be so confused because it would be so much information yeah. and it would all be just coming from my mouth. I didn't have anything to support it. I had files and things, but it was all like scattered and jumbled. And then eventually I created our own onboarding presentation that made everything so much more straightforward and simple. And so by the time I was onboarding like my fifth employee, I realized that this it was so much smoother. So there's really a lot of merit, I think, in building up those systems of communication and information sharing. For sure, for sure. You know, the problem is that we don't really do the thing that we're stepping out of our perspective and trying to see it from a different perspective of the way it works, because we are getting so much into our work that it's becoming, some things are becoming obvious to us. And they like, it, it feels like we can be, we can explain it within like two, three hours and explain it in a short, like language, easy to understand language. And it all should be good. The reality is, is not, it takes time to absorb and to understand that information. And specifically when we are, you know, you know, you have some technicalities of each startup and that takes usually the most time. So what, what I've noticed also helping a lot is to like give them a time, a proper time, don't ask for too much and use as much as possible if of easy to understand words to explain anything that's going on here to so, so they can really absorb it because understand that those people are coming from different perspectives different environments to kind of they start working with you and i've had people who we are in the business of like you know sales automation like platforms and sales enablement platforms and people were coming from like biology background of universities and it's it's not so straightforward to dive deep into the tech world and then understand all the technicalities of it so yeah that was a huge learning experience and simplicity like you pointed out is so valuable and it's one of those things that you have to really learn you think that as a young leader especially as a young manager People like throwing around acronyms and technical terms and really showing off their knowledge. They don't understand that if you can explain something complex in a simple way, that is real leadership. That is real clarity and leading with thought and leading with communication and being obtuse, being abstract, being vague or being overly knowledgeable and kind of showing off that knowledge is definitely not being a leader. Well, this is kind of the beauty of what I'm doing. My daily job is to start conversations with people that I'm, I'm eventually a stranger to them and kind of shine the light on something and in, in, in the hope that we can then kind of progress in that conversation. And what I've noticed is in order to do that, those people have to understand. And I'm contacting totally different people like every day. And the thing that worked for me is try to write as I'm writing in the, in the fifth grade. Like, you know, the thing that you, 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 you raised a good point, people that are eventually progressing and learning more and more stuff, they, they may be thinking that it's cool to use jargons and, you know, like kind of techie language. So they're like, you know, sounded off really smart, but the, the, kind of the, the bucket of cold water on your head in outbound sales is if you're going to do that, way too many people won't understand what you're talking about. So you, you kind of have to step step down a little bit, kind of see like 
from that perspective of how do you how do you write that message? How do you how you're understood? And what I've noticed is is you kind of have to understand how our brains work in this perspective, because we're literally like you know I won't go be going really into that, but we have three different types of brains, and the like you know the first brain and each of them acts like a filter to information that we receive, and the first filter would be like a croc brain, lizard brain. It's like the brain that we like we had like the oldest, and it literally is responsible for like you know survival mode so anything that is like it's so the way it proceeds the signals is am i in danger this is something new this is something interesting and stuff like this and if you're not passing through that information you are not heard at all and what i've noticed complex things don't pass through that like information so if i'm trying to communicate to someone in a complex language trying to show off here it doesn't work at all the message is not received this is why all this clickbait really works because it works on that shock value. It works on that, oh my God, if I don't click here, I don't know, I might not succeed in my job or my cat might die. So it really, really works if you're able to shock someone, if you're able to evoke some kind of extreme emotion. I can see that that it would pass through those filters and you would really register it. Yep, that's true. That's what I've also noticed. And when when I've noticed it, my results and the results of my team went drastically up. So that's a good thing. Fascinating. Now, something that I've been wondering about, especially knowing you a little and seeing that you're this very confident person and I, I don't see a lot of uncertainty. I don't see a lot of doubt when I talk to you. I see someone who's just brimming with confidence. Did you ever have the imposter syndrome, especially because you were thrown into leadership at such a young age. So I'm really curious to know, did you ever think to yourself or maybe even have a talk with your CEO thinking about why me? Am I really fit for this role? I'm so young. I'm so inexperienced. I don't belong here. All the time. All the time. I had it all the time. It all started when I was 15 and I won an this kind of cult program was an exchange program. And when like out of 10,000 people, 200 people won, and we were like, won a scholarship that we went to the United States for one year and we lived there and kind of stuff. And I was like, I knew that I was not the smartest person in my school when it comes to like, and stuff like that. And then it was kind of, why did, why did I get selected? Like, I was asking people the questions that selected me. Why did I get selected? Like, why did you choose me? And they explained me that they really like the way I communicate, the way I behave and stuff like that. So, okay. Oh, that was, that was interesting. Then the next experience, when I joined this um, startup with Pecker, I was, I was fairly young and uh, I also didn't understand like, why did those people like choose me? Why, why like I'm showing the potential to them. And I was really afraid because it was my first time experience and you kind of have to do stuff. So because you are afraid, you kind of want to get it done and you, you're really trying your best. So there was a lot of like overtime in reading books, blogs, podcasts, whatever. I was just, I, w- I was just trying to absorb as many information as I could possibly to, in order to be a little bit prepared for what's coming. And that's kind of the mentality that the reason why I'm feeling like I've learned so much is because I was scared pretty much all the time with all the challenges that I were like coming my way and I didn't want to fail miserably. So what I did, I was just like trying to prepare as much as I can um, informational wise, but also mental, like from the mental side. I'm also doing, um, I'm also like on my hobbies thing, I'm doing boxing 
And in the boxing sessions, you have a lot of sparrings where you're like sparring with the other partner. And be before each session, I'm feeling like the rumblings in my stomach because I, I know that I'll probably get punched right now. So what I'm trying to do, I'm trying to do my best to not get punched. So I, I, I'm trying to like, you know, absorb and understand what should I move. And those kind of my mental map of how I approach things helped me also with my LinkedIn journey. I was not sure that I have something to share with the world. I kind of understood. I had to have some things that were like confirmation of me that, like, that I did it. So I was once invited. I was a true story. I was once invited to a platform to like a festival and I confirmed it because that was the time I was invited, like, you know, to a podcast and things like that. But that turned out to be a really big festival in Europe. There's like, you know, people from HubSpot, Pipedrive, Salesforce are speakers and I'm a speaker as well. I was like, oh man. And that was like, I was 24 at that time. And I was like, oh man, I'm going to be speaking at the pretty, pretty large stage. And what should I tell them? So what I did, I was scared. And because I was scared, I basically just put the best like 20 minute speech that I could do. And I, when I did that speech, I've seen like people just like left and right, sending comments like, yo, this is new. This is something exciting. This is great. And I was like, oh, I, I guess I, I do know something. But this kind of behavior that I'm, you know, afraid all the time brings me like, you know, I, I, will, I will not say I'm, this my back is up like against the wall, but I'm, I'm really like, you know, trying to gather myself as much as possible. And the, the, the saying that I've been always taught, like by my dad, like, you know, when the going is tough, the tough get going. So like when it is tough, like get yourself organized do as much as you possibly can and you might pull through. And this would help me. This is fascinating. You had the imposter syndrome. You felt that you had these uncertainties, you had these doubts and you use that to fuel your growth. That's incredible. That's that's exactly how I tell people to excel in public speaking because they have nerves and it's natural to have those nerves and you have those nerves. But what you really can do is that use those nerves to fuel how you're going to be speaking on that stage. And that's really what what actually really works. It's definitely not for everybody because the emotions that you're going through your first couple of times, those are the ones to remember. That's a great note to end the podcast on. Is there anything else you would like to share with us, Yuri, before we wrap up? I wish you all to find your confidence in taking your first step. Because we, as, as we finish this up, this, product, this podcast on the on imposter syndrome, it's really worth it to do it in whatever direction you are afraid of doing right now, but you have like internal feeling that I should be probably doing that. It's really worth it. Just trust yourself and just do your best not to fail. Eventually you'll fail, but fail fast and reflect and do it one more time. Failing fast is so typical of the startup culture. It's the first thing that I learned when I came to Shenzhen, which is, you know, really um, has a rich startup ecosystem that if you, if you want to fail, fail fast. You got to try things to figure out what you're good at. How are you going to know what you're good at if you don't try? Eventually you'll fail. That's okay. That's a learning experience. Great note to end the podcast on. Thank you so much, Yuri, for being with us. It was really interesting to hear your insights and to be there a little bit with you on your journey. Thank you for sharing that with us. Thank you, Anushin, for inviting. That was awesome. Hey, you're still here. 
Thanks for listening all the way till the end. I am super grateful for your support. If you like this episode, please take a minute to leave a five-star review. It would mean the world to me. To know about how I help leaders speak fearlessly, you can check out nsheen.com. That is the first letter of my name, N for Nasheen, with a sheen like Martin and Charlie. See you in the next episode. Till then, speak fearlessly. Fearlessly.